Welcome to the first episode of the Idea Spies Editor Series in partnership with Spanner in the Works. I'm Lynn Wood, the founder and chief Idea Spy of Idea Spies. Today we'll hear from the Idea Spies Energy Editor, Harley Hargraves, who has over 25 years experience in federal and state government, including a decade working overseas in Europe and the USA. She's managed operations with net budgets of 400 million plus, with teams of over 500 people spread over dozens of locations, and is a former Deputy Secretary for several portfolios in the New South Wales government, including resources and energy. More recently, she has chaired boards in the energy sector. Carly will talk about what's happening in energy in Australia and worldwide, and some of the areas of innovation she is watching as the Idea Spies Energy Editor. Hello, Carly. Thanks, Len. Hello. Great to be with Ideas this morning and uh, great to talk about one of my passion areas, which is uh, what's happening in energy. I thought I'd uh, start talking a little bit first about energy demand, just to set the scene. So uh, like it or not, the global demand for energy, which we need to remember is electricity, liquid fuels like petrol and diesel and natural gas is just continuing to grow and grow as our populations and economies grow. So if we can't realistically reduce overall energy demand, then we most definitely need to decarbonize the energy that we are using, or obviously we'll never reach net zero, which is critically important. And it's in this sort of race to decarbonize our energy that I think is really um, fascinating. It's creating all sorts of uh, fabulous opportunities uh, for new companies and for new ways of doing things. And as the energy editor for Idea Spies, I thought I'd just briefly touch on four areas of keen interest to me at the moment. Uh, those four areas are energy productivity, the electrification of absolutely everything we can, but of course, the electrification of everything using clean electricity. Uh, also look at what's happening in alternative liquid fuels. Uh, as mentioned, that's sort of petrol, diesel, those sorts of things. Uh, and of course, everyone's favorite at the moment as well, energy storage. So I'll touch very briefly on each one of those four and hopefully give people some interesting insights into what's going on. Energy productivity, what is it? Uh, pretty simply, energy productivity just means let's use less energy to produce the same or more outputs as before. And the reason it's my number one trend to watch is because improving our energy productivity is often the cheapest and the most immediate way for us to reduce the use of fossil fuels and therefore to reduce both emissions and energy costs. And interestingly, in Australia, according to the Fed, federal government's low emissions technology statement, emissions generated from the burning of fuels for uh, the purposes of generating heat or steam or pressure make up about 20% of Australia's uh, total greenhouse gases in 2020. Now, in almost all of those processes, I can absolutely guarantee you that there is a ton of energy being wasted, often in the form of just wasted heat. So I'm really interested in technologies that help to reduce energy waste um, in buildings, but particularly in manufacturing processes. Because if you think about you know, drying, sterilizing, steaming, and you just think about how hot those workplaces are, obviously we're wasting an enormous amount of energy. One of the things that caught my eye, for example, was aquatic centres, which isn't really industrial, but uh, given that all Australians swim, 
Uh, I was quite interested in the fact that um, RMIT uh, Uni in Melbourne uh, has estimated that aquatic centres can consume up to seven times more energy per square metre than the average commercial office building. And if you think about industrial operations like breweries or paper mills or even dry cleaners, you can really easily see and imagine the amount of wasted energy that comes from those industrial processes. So tracking things like heat pumps in aquatic centres or even better, closed loop solutions for manufacturing operations. So if you think about a brewery, um, they might have solar panels on their rooftops, batteries to store excess energy, a biogas unit to convert their organic waste into gas for their boilers, which they use to make the beer, uh, and an AI system to manage it all remotely. So those sorts of things are really, really exciting. Uh, of course, some of the challenges for existing technologies in this area are things like high temperature uh, waste re heat recovery. So traditionally heat pumps operate in lower temperatures, there's a lot of innovation going in the higher temperature uh, areas, so up to about you know 160 degrees Celsius and beyond, which has been really tricky uh, because you know high temperatures are very um, difficult to work in, including for equipment. But there's some really interesting things. For example, an Austrian project called Dry Efficiency, which uh, I posted to Idea Spies recently, uh, and that's delivered some really impressive results in high temperature industrial processes, you know, including saving 80% of energy, which is obviously pretty impressive and resulting CO2 emissions. Moving on to the second major trend that I mentioned, the electrification of absolutely everything we possibly can. So some estimates for global electricity demand show that by 2050, the demand will probably be increasing as much as 60%. So that's because we're trying to um, transfer everything that we possibly can in households, in manufacturing processes, in transport. So that's EVs and, um, you know, also, of course, in um, household batteries and large scale batteries. We're trying to electrify absolutely everything. And we also need to increase electricity for things like green hydrogen, which I'll touch on shortly. So that's great, but where's all the clean electricity going to come from for this, you know, 60% increase in electricity demand? And in that space, I sort of look at things like everyone does, which is, you know, solar, onshore wind, uh, hydro, and renewable energy sources uh, in Australia um, accounted for only about 7% of Australia's total energy consumption in 2020. So that's, again, not just electricity, it's, it's our, all of our energy needs. When you just look at electricity, uh, it's much higher. That's about 24% uh, of Australia's total electricity generation came in the same year in 2020, came from solar, wind and hydro. And of course, the investment that's going into the renewables market is massive. So investment in renewables has doubled in the last 10 years. And AEMO is forecasting, you know, that is little in as little as four years time at some point times during the year and on some days, uh, as much as 77% of our electricity demand could actually be coming from rooftop solar alone. So that's only in four years time. That's pretty impressive. And they just put out a report last week, which actually shows that about 35% of all of our electricity, so that's up from 24%, about 35% of all our electricity in the last three months of 2021 came from renewables. So lots happening. Where am I particularly interested in? Uh, I look at things like the application of 
renewable technologies. So, you know, solar cells in clothing, for example, uh, as well as improvements around the efficiency of the technologies. Because, you know, again, talking about solar cells, they're not that efficient. They're sort of 15 to 20% uh, efficiency and, and you know, leading edge technology is sort of pushing it sort of the 23 to 25%. So clearly lots of room to move uh, and also new developments in the kinds of materials that are being used. So for example, what are the alternatives to silicon? I also look at less advanced renewable technologies. Two of my favorites in this space are offshore wind, uh, particularly because Australia doesn't have any yet, uh, but recent legislative changes uh, have shown that we've um, now now we can actually put offshore wind into the waters around Australia. There's about you know 10 to 15 um, mooted sort of all around the country, uh, which is which is fantastic. With the most advanced being the Star of the South in Victoria, and if that gets up and running, that could supply about 20% of all of Victoria's electricity needs. So offshore wind is a really interesting space. Turbine size is changing. Uh, there's a lot of investment going into floating wind. Uh, and that's really cool because it also relates to one of my other passion areas, which is uh, ocean energy. So, for example, there's a UK pilot that's trying to uh, test floating wind turbines and partnering them with wave energy. Now, ocean energy is niche, but um, really fascinating. Uh, and I love watching this space. Uh, oceans cover more than 70% of the world's surface. You can generate energy from waves, from tides, from currents, but also from uh, harnessing differences in the water temperatures and even in salt concentrations, for example, where rivers meet the sea. And you can put devices on the seafloor, you know, floating in the middle of the water column or on top of the waves. They can be fixed to other structures. Um, you know, it's just, it's really fascinating area. So I, I there's um, probably an overemphasis on ocean energy and some of the things I'm interested in, but it's more um, predictable than solar or wind. So you can actually think about it as evening out the intimacy of solar and wind. Uh, last area of sort of renewable gas, uh, renewable energy that I keep an eye on is biogas. Uh, it's a really um, uh, active area in Australia uh, already, uh, and but some of the interesting developments are really around uh, the next generation of anaerobic digestion uh, and how can you use it for um, bio waste? How can you use bio waste for both energy production? Uh, but also for, and that can be electricity and that can be heat and it can be um, biomethane, as well as producing organic fertilizers and other sort of byproducts that you can actually use in the agricultural industry, for example. So there's lots happening there, uh, which brings me to sort of, you know, alternative fuels, because obviously if you take biogas, um, which is predominantly methane, but it's, a, it's, um, in layman's terms, I call it slightly dirtier gas than natural gas, which is almost predominantly um, methane. That you can generate that from renewable sources. So there's things you can do with uh, renewable electrification that can also produce all sorts of different alternative liquid fuels. And that's also an area that's of interest to me. So um, not just methane, but methanol, aviation fuels, and of course, everyone's favorite, green hydrogen. So green hydrogen is getting a heap of attention at the moment because it offers a sort of a, I guess, a trifecta. Um, it uh, it's, can give you um, an alternative liquid fuel for hard to abate sectors. So that's, you know, transportation or steel making. Uh, 
Uh, it can give you um, uh, no emission power if it's used in a power station, so that's electricity. Uh, and you can put it in um, pipelines so you can use it instead of natural gas. So there's a there's sort of, a, you know, multiple reasons to pay attention to hydrogen. Everyone is paying attention to it. I like looking at things like what's happening on the electrolyzer technologies and, and bring those costs down, but also transportation. So one of the challenges is how do you transport a, a liquid fuel that needs to be stored at, you know, um, minus 200 plus um, degrees Celsius, and how do you ship that? Uh, so those sorts of things I'm interested in as well as applications. Um, so it's very, very popular. Uh, there's a couple of really good ideas on idea spies around what's going on in the hydrogen space. So everyone should have a quick squeeze. And lastly, that brings me to energy storage, which, you know, uh, everyone sort of expects you to talk about batteries. That's, that's a fair point. Um, and investment in large scale battery storage is obviously going um, gangbusters and is needed to complement the growth in wind and solar. But batteries need large footprints. Um, they obviously have fire dangers as well. Uh, they're excellent for short bursts of energy, but not so great for sustained large-scale um, supply of energy. And just to help people understand that, um, one of the largest batteries we have in Australia um, soon will be the uh, AGL's 250-megawatt Torrens Island battery. Now that sounds pretty big and it is pretty big. It can provide um, 250 megawatts for about an hour uh, and that capacity will be expanded so it can get up to a thousand megawatts for four hours. But what does that mean? Um, to put it in context, a thousand megawatts is equivalent, is equivalent to only 10% of total peak New South Wales electricity demand. And that sort of battery would not cover the peak period which can run for more than six to eight hours on very hot summer days. So batteries are absolutely part of the answer. They're not the whole answer to a stable and consistent low emission energy source. Um, and I do keep an eye on things in the battery space, including, you know, battery type, you know, which is a sort of the war between lithium and, you know, other alternatives like zinc. Um, again, size, duration, inverter technologies and things like that, because there's, again, lots and lots going on in that space. So, Lynn, that was an absolute whirlwind tour of the sort of the four key trends that I'm keeping an eye on at the moment in the super exciting energy space, which I love. Uh, if anyone is interested in seeing some of the ideas in this space that I might have mentioned or others, they can always go to Idea Spies, click on the energy category, and they can use the keyword search function and type in something like solar or battery or um, whatever specific area they're interested in browsing and I would strongly recommend people do because it's a lot of fun browsing through the Idea Spice platform. So thank you. Mm -hmm.